Well, good morning, friends. If we have not met, my name is Charlie Salamone, the lead pastor here. And this is our year of community that we are, we are going into, we are launching. That's kind of what our focus is going to be, community. And with that in mind, um, we, uh, the plan is for the sermon series to kind of connect with that. And as I was thinking about where we're headed, I actually got an email uh, from Martin. Thank you, Martin. You have probably, um, you definitely had no idea what you were unlocking with your email. But uh, Martin sent an email uh, to myself and a couple other people a few weeks ago. During the service, together we prayed the Lord's Prayer. It was on the screen, if you know what that is. Together we prayed that, and Martin emailed saying, I really enjoyed that. You know, Jesus told us to pray that way. It means a lot to me. Can we do more of that? And, well, that got me thinking. Uh, Before we go any farther, let's actually read the Lord's Prayer and the verses that come before it. So uh, we'll begin with Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 5. Jesus speaking. Um, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because they're many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, uh, this is the Lord's Prayer. This is how Jesus told us to pray. So it must be important. And I'll be honest with you, I have a little bit of reservations about the Lord's Prayer and doing this uh, regularly. I think we should do it, and I hope to do it, but I just want to share my reservations. So before it, as you read, as we read, uh, Jesus said, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans. The King James translation actually says, don't don't speak. When you pray, don't say vain repetitions. So just like empty, repeating things, empty. Don't pray like that. And I find it sadly ironic that the Lord's Prayer for many people have become, has become like vain repetitions. Uh, for example, we, we all prayed, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And people have prayed that millions Perhaps billions of people have prayed that same prayer, and so many people, I could probably be like, hey, psst, psst, hey, what does the word hallowed mean? And I would bet that a huge majority of the people would be like, I have no idea, I never really thought about it. And uh, my point is, this can be, this powerful prayer that Jesus told us to pray can miss its great power and meaning if it is for us only vain repetitions. But if we are speaking this 
with understanding, how did Jesus say it, in spirit and in truth. If we're speaking this with minds that understand and, and hearts that agree, then there is something powerful here. So I thought, hey, this is a year of community. And if you noticed, the prayer is actually a, a communal thing because it's our Father, forgive us. Um, there is this we uh, um, aspect of it. So what we're going to do as part of our year of community, and this is why I say, Martin, you're getting more than you signed up for. We're not just going to uh, pray the Lord's Prayer. We're not just going to have one sermon about the Lord's Prayer. We're actually going to dive into a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, taking each part one at a time and talking about it as a whole and talking about it in its parts. And I don't totally know how long we're going to be here, but there is something powerful here. Jesus told us this is how we should pray. So there's something very good here. And um, actually, I, I told Cheryl this idea. And uh, she said uh, that a church she was part of did this years ago, and it transformed her prayer life. And I thought, wow, that's exciting. Um, and uh, I was doing a little bit of reading, and there was this time um, 500 years ago or so where someone, uh, it was actually his barber, Martin Luther's barber asked him about prayer, and Martin Luther wrote him a letter, and that letter, you can now read it, you can Google, you know, Martin Luther's letter to his barber. But one thing he said is, I drink of the Lord's prayer like a child and eat of it like an old man. I, ne I can never get enough of it. So there's something here that should be satisfying to our souls. Um, it should be more than just something we recite. There's something, something powerful here. There's something important. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to begin this series. Father God, uh, help me. Hallowed be your name, Lord, meaning show yourself, glorify yourself, show your truth, your character, your presence. Um, let the truth of who you are be evident for us to behold um, and be changed by and to be uh, refreshed in our spirits. Um, hallow your name, Lord. We ask that in your name. Amen. Okay, so... We're going to do a series on the Lord's Prayer, but I'll tell you today, we're actually not going to get into the prayer itself. We're going to look at the words before the prayer, because Jesus started talking about prayer before he got into what is now known as the Lord's Prayer. So we're actually going to go back to Matthew chapter 6 and begin with verse 5. Uh, verse 5 is Jesus speaking, and he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, I looked at a bunch of translations, and almost every translation uses the word hypocrite, which I think is a little sad because it doesn't exactly capture what Jesus is saying. It's, it's close, but it's not quite there. In our modern tongue... The word hypocrite, at least the way that I think of it, and probably the way you think of it as well, a hypocrite is someone who says one thing but does something else, right? That's what hypocrite is, which can kind of apply, but it's not exactly what Jesus is saying because in his day and age, the word hypocrite actually meant something different. Hypocrite, the, I understand why it's translated hypocrite, because hypocrite is literally the Greek word. It's hypocrite. And Avange could probably translate it, uh, he could probably um, pronounce it better. It's probably not pronounced hypocrite. It probably has some Greek nuance. But the word is hypocrite, so it makes sense to translate it hypocrite. 
But at the time, the word meant something different. Um, at the time, the word meant a stage actor. So if there was a play, the people on the stage, they were the hypocrites. And that's what Jesus is getting at. Uh, don't be an actor on a stage playing a part. One of the things I love about our present generation, something our present, uh, this cultural moment, something that people have really come to understand is the importance of finding your authentic identity. You know that? I love that because it's so biblical. It's so important. Finding your authentic identity. There is this idea that if you can get in touch with who you really are, there is something to set you free. Like Jesus said, the truth will set you free. But I want you to know there's a little bit of a trap. There's a wrong way of doing it. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. There's, um, so if you are a hypocrite, if you are a stage actor, you're on a stage performing for people. And let me tell you, your true identity, your true authentic self is not going to be found on the stage. Meaning it's not going to be found by the eyes of men. Because we have fallen from grace, meaning because sin has entered the world, we understand intuitively that there's something wrong. There's something that needs to be fixed. There's this desire for, um, for finding an identity that we can rest in. An identity that, again, sets us free because we don't feel free in our natural selves. We feel this sense that something is wrong. Well... The way to find your true, authentic self, it's not in the eyes of people. It's not going to be found on the stage. The way that you get in touch with your true, authentic self, what does Jesus say? Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your true authentic self is found between you and God in your heart. That is your deep, truest self. And how did Jesus say it? Um, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Meaning if that's not made right, if that has not yet been found, all you will be in the eyes of people is an actor. Um, someone performing on a stage. There's no real freedom there. There's no real power there. And when it comes to prayer, well, a hypocrite, a stage actor, um, who are they working for? They're working for the crowd. They're pretending. It's not real. They're pretending. They're pretending for the crowd. And what Jesus is saying is, if in your prayer life you're doing it for people, there are some people that do that. There are some people that do that. They pray because they want to be seen by people. He says, if that's what you're doing, and it, and it goes beyond just prayer. I mean, earlier Jesus is saying, don't be like the hypocrites who perform their righteousness in front of people. And they don't try to seek God in, in, in their heart. He says, don't be like that. So it's not, it's not just about prayer, but Prayer is part of it. The reason I say it's not just about prayer is because we live in a, a culture where praying isn't cool. 
I mean, just, just be honest, the, the majority of especially young people, if you're like praying in front of people, no one's going to think, ooh, there's someone special. It's, but, um, but the principle applies to more than just prayer. What it means is how you present yourself, if the way you're presenting yourself to the world isn't in line with who you are before God, it's not real. However, what Jesus is saying is, if you're pretending, if you're living a life of pretending, meaning you're not right with God in your heart, but you're going and doing your thing in front of people, you might get what you're looking for. Meaning, you're looking for the affirmation of people. You think the affirmation and the applause of people will satisfy that longing for identity? It won't, but you think it will. Okay, you might get the applause of people. But Jesus is saying, the sad thing is that's all you're going to get. If that's what you're seeking, that will be your reward. But hear this part, because we're going we're to focus on this part. Jesus said, instead, seek your father as he is. Don't do it for people. He says, go in your room and shut the door. By the way, he's not saying you can only pray in private. Jesus prayed in public plenty of times. There's lots of people in the Bible that prayed in public. But what he's saying here is your public prayer better not be in contrast to what your real prayer life is when you're alone. If you don't pray when you're alone before God, anything you do in public is it's just pretending, isn't it? It's just you're, you're being an actor on a stage. Um, but what he's saying here is if you're praying the right way, as in you're actually seeking God with your heart, you're actually seeking your Father, and we'll, we'll get to that part. If you're doing that... Hear this part. I really need you to hear this part. Your father who is unseen will see, and what will he do? What does it say? What will he do? He will reward you. That's worth focusing on. I've noticed that the concept of God rewarding people makes some people uncomfortable. I've learned that. I don't know why. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. I love it. But I've noticed some people get a little uncomfortable when you talk about God rewarding people because some people have this concept of Christianity that is just wrong and wrong. Uh, you'll hear people say, well, my religion, my Christianity, I don't do it for a reward. I do it just because it's the right thing to do. Doesn't that sound noble? It sounds like noble and, and good. It's not. It's neither of those things. It is not in line with the Bible. It's not in line with the words of Jesus. It's more stoicism than it is Christianity. Actually, what it is, if you're a philosopher, and there was a time where I got a philosophy degree many years ago. Um, if you're a philosopher, what that is is Kantian ethics. Uh, Immanuel Kant thought that if you do something for a reward, it's not really a good deed. A good deed is where you do something without any reward in mind. Sounds good. Sounds noble. Not Christianity. Not what Jesus spoke. Instead, Jesus talked quite a bit about rewards. Because let me tell you what God is pleased by. God is pleased when people say, Hey, I heard what you said, and I believe you. I heard what you said about rewards, and I trust you. Because you're trustworthy and faithful. So here I am responding to that promise. God is pleased when we take him at his word. And when he says there'll be a reward, there will be a reward. Now, let's talk about prayer. Because there are some things that I know that hinder prayer. This, perhaps, is the first one. 
For some people, it's hard to pray because it's hard to focus, right? Right? <laughs> Sorry, I just looked at someone I had a conversation with this about. <laughs> She's laughing. It's okay. Um, it's hard to pray because it's hard to focus. For a lot of people, that's true. And for some people, it's more true than it is true for other people. Some people have low attention spans. Some people have uh, uh, what's medically known as attention deficit disorder. Hard to pay attention. Hard to focus. I know a lot about attention deficit disorder. A lot. You know how I know? Because there's other people in my home that have it. Children who got it from their mom, probably. <laughs> right? What was I just talking about? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but for real, attention deficit disorder, it's hard to focus. Some people have short attention spans, and it's hard to focus. But let me tell you something about people who do have short attention spans, something about people who do have attention deficit disorder. This is something that a lot of people don't understand. Given the right motivation, as in if those people, it's hard for them to focus, but if you are able to catch their interest, watch out, because now you have a laser focus. It's the truth. It's the truth. It's hard to focus, but if you get those people engaged, watch out, because they cannot be dissuaded. Once they set their eyes on something, it's very hard to get them to take their eyes off of it. That is a truth. And here, there is something Jesus is saying that is meant to get your attention and get you to focus. Jesus says, pray, seek your Father, and he will reward you. And you might be thinking, okay, well, I don't have that much time in the sense of, okay, yeah, there's probably rewards like in heaven, like someday. Yeah, yeah, there is, there is. But here's a part of the Lord's Prayer that's been really speaking to me lately. Give us this day our daily bread. So when is that meant to be given? Today. Today. That's powerful. Jesus is saying, seek your Father who will reward you. And when will you receive part of that reward? Today. Wow, that means something. That's powerful. And so here's the question. This is a little bit of a challenge. Is Jesus a liar? No, he's not a liar. If he says he will reward you, he will reward you. Are you going to neglect that? Are you, you, you going to neglect that through unbelief? Are you going to say, no, I don't really believe in that? No, Jesus isn't a liar. He tells the truth. I'm going to pray. I'm, I, give us this day our daily bread. Today, a reward. That's motivation. It's supposed to be. That's supposed to get your attention. And I hope I've gotten your attention. Um, something else that makes it hard to pray is we have our focus is on other things. Um, it's hard to like take your focus off, especially, especially when you're busy especially when you're busy and you have lots on your mind, lots you're worried about, lots you're anxious about, lots to do. I got lots of things to do. And it's hard to like take my mind off of those things and then focus on prayer. 
there's a really well-known story in the Bible, and with our staff team, we talk about it all the time. Uh, you know Mary and Martha, the sisters. Jesus loved both of them. Um, but there was this one occasion, you know, where, where Mary is sitting, just sitting at Jesus' feet, just seeking that relationship, seeking to hear from him, seeking to experience him. And Martha, because there's a lot of people in the house, you know, it's not just Jesus, you got all the disciples there. Martha is in the other room getting things ready, probably like, you know, cooking food, I imagine, things like that. And she's all stressed out, and she's getting frustrated that Mary's not helping her. And, you know, she comes in, and uh, she's like, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. And, and Jesus, he says, Martha, Martha, my dear, it's like repeated, that's, Martha, Martha, meaning my dear Martha, you're anxious about many things. You're worried about many things. You're focused on many things. But one thing is needed. And that's what Mary has chosen. One thing. Meaning, all of those other focuses, all those other things you're concerned about, you're worried about, not needed. One thing is needed, to seek him, to, to just be with him. That's why I say, throw everything off. Throw everything off and seek him. And prayer is really the first way that we can seek him. It really is. Seek him. And the rest, what did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the rest shall be given to you. And I have to sympathize with Martha because, again, you got a house full of people and there's a lot to do. I'm sure there's lots of food to cook and things like that. And as a staff team, we were talking about this last week. Um, what would have happened? I wonder what would have happened if Martha was just like, I got a lot of food to cook. There's all these people. They're going to be hungry soon. But forget it. I'm just going to go sit with Jesus. What would have happened? Would they have gone hungry? I cannot conceive of such a thing. That's really where miracles happen. When we stop putting our trust in what we can do and we focus first on what he can do, that's really where we experience him. Um, someone who is really well known for this, uh, he lived uh, a couple hundred years ago or so, uh, George Mueller. In his life, he took care of like 10,000 orphans. And... His autobiography is actually called, um, I think it's like 10,000 Prayers Answered, where I've read a part of his autobiography, and I say part because it's hard to read because it's kind of repetitive. As in, this is a story that you read like over and over and over again. It's like, there he is with the orphans, and it's like, oh, they're out of food. <laughs> they ran out of food again. No need to fear. Let's pray. And they would pray, and someone would come to the door with food. It was like that over and over and over again. And uh, here's my point. The reward that Jesus promises, give us today our daily bread. That's what we need more than what we think we need. That's what we need to focus on more than what we think we need to focus on. I think it was Martin Luther who famously said, I, I try to pray an hour a day. I try to pray for an hour a day. That's what he said. But he said, but when I'm busy, when I have a lot going on, when I'm busy, then I pray for three hours a day. 
Meaning, if there's a lot going on in your life, even more need for you to get out of the kitchen. Sorry, Martha, I got something more important to do. Even more reason for you to go and sit before Jesus and say, Father, give us this day our daily bread. I need daily bread from you. Otherwise, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this day. Um, so, uh, so that's the first part of Matthew 6, 5 through 8. Um, Jesus will reward you. Hear that. Focus on it. It's, he's not a liar. He tells the truth. Um, and then he also says this, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because there are many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So uh, um, once more, there's a contrast. Before, there was a contrast between the, the hypocrites, the actors, and those who are really seeking. And here, there's a contrast between those who are coming before, in their minds, the, the pagan gods and those who are coming before God as Father. He said, don't be like them. And so I thought, well, to understand what he's talking about, we probably have to understand a little bit about uh, pagan religion. This is uh, uh, the Hellenistic, meaning Greek culture, and this is what we now know as the Greek gods or Greek mythology. At the time, it wasn't Greek mythology. At the time, it was these were the gods that people believed in. And as it stands, I actually have uh, someone in my home, my daughter Rachel. She reads a lot, and uh, she knows about a lot of very random things. And she knows a lot about Greek mythology. And so I was reading this, and I was in my office, and I texted her. I said, uh, uh, tell me about, give me a little synopsis on uh, how religion would work uh, when it comes to the, the pagan gods. The, and uh, and uh, this is what she texted me. I was going to actually just like summarize what she said, but she actually has a way with words, so I thought I would just read what she said because I thought it was interesting. This is, this is part, of, part of what she said. Uh, uh, she said, People saw the Greek gods as sort of like very powerful beings that had control over aspects of their lives, but the gods were also viewed as being like guys with personalities ranging from fairly benevolent to absolute uh, swear word, jerk. I'm just going to say jerk, but that's not what it says. To, they, 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 see, they, were either, they, they ranged. They had personalities, and some of them were kind of good. Some of them were pretty bad. Um, they worshipped mostly, the people worshipped mostly out of fear and in hopes that it would keep them in, God, in the God's good graces. It really wasn't seen as a personal thing. In a lot of mythology, Greek gods mostly kept to themselves and had various spats between, between them, uh, largely ignoring humans. But occasionally, one would take interest in a human, which usually didn't end well for the human. <laughs> uh, for example, Zeus, the king of the gods, was known for having a lot of human lovers, though almost all of them were killed badly since he had a wife who hated that. Uh, <laughs> I, I just found it interesting, and it really actually captured um, uh, the point that, that I had in mind when Jesus is saying, don't pray like the pagans. Instead, you have a father in heaven. As in with the pagans, um, it wasn't about a relationship because these people weren't people that you could really trust, <laughs> Um, they had, uh, they were a little unpredictable sometimes. 
it wasn't about someone you could trust. It wasn't about relationship. And actually, um, the whole thing with like, don't babble like the pagans. I don't know about you, but sometimes like, if you're talking with someone and you're nervous because you don't know what they think of you, you don't have a solid relationship, you can just kind of babble. You know, that's what I do when I'm nervous. Sometimes, sometimes I do it before you guys, if I could be totally honest. Sometimes I get nervous. It's not because of you. You guys are very nice. But sometimes I just get nervous, you know. Um, it's like, don't babble. Don't babble like the pagans, as, in, as if you're coming before someone who isn't good and trustworthy and loving. Um, Instead, you have a father, and you need to come to him um, as father because he's good, and he cares about you, and he loves you. And that, oh, that makes all the difference. Um, the, the people would come before the pagan gods not as in to, to, not to seek a relationship, but to make a deal. Does that make sense? They would come before the pagan's god not to enjoy fellowship and experience the life of, of knowing you, various pagan God, but instead, I'm here to strike a deal. I'm here to offer a service and hopefully get something in return. And that's not how we are to approach the Father who loves us. Um, so uh, I have children, and sometimes they approach me in ways that I'm not happy with. And sometimes... Sometimes they do well. Um, for example, I have a certain child, and, uh, you know, maybe she'll want some money. She'll want some money, normal, nothing wrong with that. She'll want some money, and she'll say, hey, can I have some money? Uh, I, babysitted, I babysitted yesterday. Can I have some money? And uh, I don't like that. I don't like that request because I'm not an employer, and you're not an employee, um, I don't like you coming before me as if you are owed something. Because if we are going to treat it like this, well, then I have to deduct room and board. Uh, you know, then I have to like, I, it's not going to work out for you, actually. If we're, if we're going to do it that way, you're going to owe me quite a bit. For real. That is not how you come before God. Because if you try to come before God as if you're owed something, as if you can make a deal, it's not going to work out well for you. I don't like when my children come to me as if they're owed something. However, the same child, uh, she texted me not that long ago saying, hey, can I have uh, $10 for Subway because you love me? Okay, first off, that's not a trump card. That's not always going to win because this is an analogy, okay? It's a metaphor. <laughs> but this is a story. But the point is, on that day, she got her money, didn't she? Because she wasn't appealing. She wasn't appealing to some false notion of I'm owed it. She wasn't coming to me to make a deal. She was coming to me, you're my dad. Um, can, I, can I have this as a gift? It's not deserved. It's not, that's... That's not the basis of our relationship. And that's the, really the good news with God being our Father. Next week, as we dive into the actual prayer of the Lord's Prayer, Avange is going to focus on this idea of Father, our Father in heaven, because it is so true. If you get this right, if you get this right, that he is your Father, not only the rest of the Lord's Prayer, but the rest of the Christian life will fall into place. But if this is shakable, um, 
If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is the light in us that must shine. We have a father. He's good. He loves us. He sent, he sent Jesus to be our savior, to forgive us of our sin. He didn't want to punish us for our sin. He wanted to forgive us. He wanted to restore us to a relationship with him where he is our God and we're his children. That's, that's, that's the good news. Um, Father God, I pray that we would learn even more to seek you in prayer. You, the Father who rewards those who seek him in prayer, Lord. Give us our daily bread. We need you today. Give us the faith uh, that brings joy, Lord. Um, and just be faithful. You're the God who said you'll reward us, Lord. So help us believe that. Help us seek you and find you as Father. And we ask this in your name. Amen. If you're in the room, just uh, raise your hand and a mic will come to you. And if you are on the web, um, just text in to the number above. So we're looking forward to your questions. There's a question over there. Roy Hoffman has got his hand up. <laughs> Roy, I think you need to put it a little bit higher because Nevin can't see you. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I was hoping you'd uh, talk a bit about that last sentence in that opening. If God knows what we need, why, why bother asking him? Very good question. I, you know what? You're right. I totally didn't get to it, and I probably should have. Uh, because it's, it's not simply about getting what you need, because what we ultimately need is that relationship. Meaning this, if I'm walking down the street and I find a loaf of bread, great, I got a loaf of bread. If I'm walking down the street and I realize I'm hungry and I pray, Father, I'm hungry, can I have some food? And then I turn the corner and there's a loaf of bread. Not only do I have the bread, but even more so, I have the praise of God in my heart and the acknowledgement and the realization that there is a God watching out for me who cares and knows and loves. Um, so that's why we pray because it's, it's about that relationship. Um, the, that's the great source of joy. If we struggle with the image of God as a father, as a good father, and we want to have that image of a good father. What do you suggest? Like, how, how, do, how do I change my view of who God is? Yeah, you know, a lot of people, um, there are no perfect fathers in the flesh, you know. So a lot of us, I mean, all of us had fathers who were sinners. And um, in some way, that has profoundly affected you, whether you know it or not, because that's what, what sin does. Even, even those of us who had great fathers, they were still sinners, and, and that still had an effect. Um, so, but I think even with that, even the ways that we can acknowledge that our father um, fell short, and for some it was awfully short, you know, terribly short. Some people had, had awful fathers. It's just the reality. I think in us, I'd like to hope that somewhere God has still placed the understanding of what a father should be. 
even if he wasn't. Uh, when we think of God our Father, what we're trying to do is trying to get in touch with our concept of what a father should be. Um, and uh, there's probably a longer answer that, that, that could be warranted if I had some time to think about it. But that's a good question. You know what? That's Evangelist. He's, he's next week, so I'm going to pass that one to you. <laughs> Here's another question. Isn't rewarding different from giving us our daily needs, such as the daily bread? The way I see it is reward is different because it is not for everyone, but providing for our needs is just a godly trait. How do I reconcile that? Um, so there is providing for our needs. He knows what we need. Um, but there is also a reward. Um, in the passage, Jesus doesn't specify what the reward is. And I don't think that we need to limit it to one thing or another. But I can tell you that Jesus isn't a liar. <laughs> and when he says he will reward you if you do this, he means it. Does that mean that you're going to go hungry if you don't? Does that mean that if you don't seek him in prayer, you're not going to eat that day? No, I don't think it means that. Um, sometimes... God, what is the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Like God, God gives lots of things to different people at different times. But one thing is for sure. If you are seeking him, you will have something today that you otherwise didn't. Because he's not a liar. And I think what it usually means, I would guess it means an increase in our faith. A strengthening of our faith an increase in our joy. Uh, do I have time for a quick story? I don't know, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, I'll be real quick. So before I moved here, I think I've told this story before, but whatever. Before I moved here, uh, we had to sell our house. There were so many things that were stressing me out. This was before I even had an official job offer, so long story. But a lot going on in our mind, and we had to sell our house. And the house we had... Um, there was a greenhouse in the back of it, uh, but the greenhouse was too hot. All the plants died. I need to stage the house. There's so much on my mind. I'm like Martha, worried about so many things. I'm like, I got to get some like fake plants for this greenhouse. I got to get some fake trees. Oh man, fake trees are like super expensive. I just Googled it. I, I don't want to pay 50 bucks for a fake tree. This greenhouse looks awful. I'm worried about so many things. Um, I'm just going on a prayer walk. I'm just going to go on a prayer walk. That's what I'm going to do. And uh, um, really what I wanted was I wanted you guys, Westview, to call me up and say, hey, here's an official job offer. <laughs> it's, it's for sure you're coming. It was hard to live with so much uncertainty where it felt like God was calling me. But at the same time, I had to wait. And it wasn't your fault. That's just how the process works. Sometimes you have to wait. And anyways, so I got all these things in my mind. I'm going for a prayer walk. And I'm just like, forget all my worries. You, Lord, I need you. And this specifically was my prayer. I very much remember it. Lord, maybe I'm not going to get that official job offer today. Maybe I have to live with that bit of uncertainty either way. But here's what I'm asking for. And this is the daily bread. This is the reward. Here's what I'm asking for for today. Lord, will you give me the faith to praise you with joy, even if I don't see what I necessarily want to see? Will you give me the faith? That's what I prayed. And I am not exaggerating. I looked up my eyes as I was walking. And there, 
a half a block in front of me on the side of the road, someone was throwing away three fake trees. I grabbed the three fake trees, put them on my back. They were heavier than you would think, but I was so happy and joyful, I just ran home with three fake trees on my back. And the real joy wasn't the trees. The real joy was God is with me. God is with me. He's watching and he cares. That's the reward. Seek him, and then when he responds, you know He's watching and he cares. So there you go. That's so awesome. <clears throat> so here's another person. And it's our last question. Why is it that the Apostle Paul never prayed the Lord's Prayer or told his followers to pray it? Who's to say he didn't pray it? I mean, we don't have... There's various letters that Paul wrote in various stories. We certainly don't have everything uh, he ever said to do, and um, um, probably because, I would say the reason he didn't tell them to pray it is probably because they already were praying it. Um, actually, one of the old, ancient, like, um, Christian writings called the Didache, I don't think, how do you pronounce that? Something like that. Um, it's one of the oldest Christian um, things that is not in the Bible, and it actually talks about how the people would pray it. Uh, at least three times a day. Um, so it's probably something that he didn't need to address because they already were praying it. Um, it's probably the short answer that I'd give. Yeah. <laughs>